You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Thursday, 8 December, China starts moving away from its zero COVID policy. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, going to chat with Ima Dear, touch on those uh, ABSA and Sunlum updates. Um, financials, uh, they, had, they had a good year. I mean, the Finney 15 has had a good 2022. Chatting with auto trader CEO George Meany, talking the need to drop import duties on EVs. And then Roland Hraub, he's head of discretionary fund, manage, fund management at Old Mutual Wealth. What is that role of DFMs and how is it changing? The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. It won't get better for the next 6 to 12 months, according to ESCOM spokesperson. This as 47% of the grid is down. Business Day, more evidence of dodgy accounting at SPA. Another question mark over accounting practices as new investigation report uncovers a second fictitious loan. Morning markets, US was red, S&P down 0.2%, NASDAQ off half a percent. In Asia, Sydney is off almost a percent, Tokyo three quarters of a percent lower. Commodities are mixed. Gold, 1,795. Brent, still lower at 77.76. Platinum, $1,013 an ounce. Palladium, 1,848. Rand, 17.20. Bitcoin, 16,800. Tencent is up 4.9% in Hong Kong lunch break. And top 40 looking for a green open. About 200 points to the upside, 0.3%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Chatting now with uh, Fahima Adia. She, of course, Momentum Securities. Uh, Fahima, appreciate the early morning. We saw two 10 uh, month uh, updates yesterday Sunlam and Absa. Sunlam said satisfactory. Absa looked a little bit better in terms of the numbers. Your take on, on, on the two updates from, from the financials? Uh, morning, Simon. Yes, so APSA reported a pretty favorable set of results in our view. The revenue growth for the period increased by the low teens, mm. underpinned by strong loan growth and improved margins due to rising interest rates. So benefiting from the endowment effect there, net interest income and non-interest income also grew by low teens. And there's been a good rebound in the life insurance revenue now that COVID is mostly behind the business. Uh, if you have a look at the operating experience uh, expenses, that ex- increased by single digits with a cost-to-income ratio that improved to the low 50s. Yep. Uh, on the downside, however, the credit impairments increased uh, with the credit loss ratio now in the upper half of the through-the-cycle target range of 75 to 100 BIPs, largely being driven by the corporate and investment banking divisions and product solutions. So I think that shows that the higher interest rate environment has begun to have a negative impact impact on consumers and businesses. Uh, It was good to note that the return on equity for the period improved quite noticeably to 17%. uh, Seems to be driven by the turnaround efforts of the business. Uh, That seems to be bearing fruit. And um, in terms of the outlook for the year, revenue is expected to double. Credit impairments will remain high, but Mm -hmm. within the upper half of targets. And um, the dividend payout ratio in particular is expected to increase to at least 50%, uh, which I think sends 
quite a good signal to the market uh, regarding the health of the business. So in our view, it was a favorable result. Uh, it is one that we we like. We like APSA and, and we think the business has quite a lot of potential given the turnaround efforts. Um, and then if we move on to Sunlum, it was a pretty difficult operating mm-hmm. environment um, due to volatile markets and the impact that high inflation and interest had on customers' ability to commit to insurance and investment products. And um, that's reflected in the results. However, it is quite a diverse business, so that did help uh, weather some of the headwinds that it faced. Uh, in particular, it um, there has been a marked increase in the life insurance performance uh, due yeah. to that acquisition of Alex Forbes' life book. But um, if we have a quick look at the results, the, the net operational earnings declined 6% due to lower investment market returns on client portfolios and higher project expenditure. Headline earnings per share decreased in line with earnings by 6%. If we look at the net result from financial services related to life insurance in particular, that increased by 23%, but insurance operations declined by 50%. And uh, life insurance new business volumes was down 4%, while the value was 14% lower. And uh, net cash uh, inflows from clients remain strong, but 6% lower. So it does seem there's some recovery in that business, but they still face quite a few headwinds um, due to a constrained macro backdrop. Yeah, I take your point on on, on that. And they did say, as I said in the intro, they called it uh, satisfactory. Might have been a bit kind on that. Uh, Certainly Absa, and they make a mention of that, uh, they are benefiting from rising interest rates um, and an increased dividend. I'm not going to argue with that. Fahim Adia, Momentum Securities, always appreciate the early morning insight. And that's our question today on LinkedIn and Twitter. Looking at those results there, are you bullish for local financial stocks in 2023? Certainly of the the JC main indices, uh, Finney 15, was the winner so far this year. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. Your money knows it's not just about the money. It's about your returns returning the favour and empowering people. Your money can do more to change the narrative. Beyond delivering consistent returns, investing in the Stanley Kanisa Impact Investment Fund can help eradicate poverty and protect the environment. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Turning now with uh, George Meany. He is Auto Trader CEO. George, appreciate the early morning time. One of the issues with uh, EVs, electric vehicles in South Africa, is that they are imported. We don't make any locally. Um, and hence, import duty. What is the current import duty on, on, on imported cars? Uh, good morning, Simon, and uh, thank you for having me. So the current import duty is 25%. Um, but yep. that in and of itself um, isn't the, the, the major challenge. The mm. major challenge is, besides it being high, it is um, uh, 7%. So, so you're saying, so actually the, 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 the EVs actually come in at a higher rate than, a, than, a, than an ICE, an internal combustion engine? Correct, by about seven percentage points. So, so that's quite a big difference. You know, besides the, the actual 25% is high, <laughs> it is seven percentage points higher than an ICE vehicle. But what's, the, what's the logic for that? I mean, aside from the fact that, frankly, EVs should be cheaper because they're good for the, 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 the environment, I mean, governments obviously sat down and decided to penalize. Have they given ideas as to why? 
I don't think it's uh, penalising an electric vehicle for the sake of penalising an electric vehicle. Uh, mm. that, that's, that's not the point. Um, I think it falls into a, a, a slightly different category when it comes to imports because it doesn't have an engine. So it might uh. not be looked at as a car uh, per se. Um, so, so, you know, that could be some of the reason. But that's the only import tax we pay on electric vehicles or other vehicles for that matter. Um, we pay sometimes as high as 40 to 50 percent more on importing a vehicle, especially if you don't import a vehicle through the correct channels and you import it directly from the, uh, from the manufacturer. Um, you could be paying, you know, 50 percent more for your vehicle than, uh, uh, than you would normally if it's manufactured in the country. And that is, a, for me, that is a recipe for uh, a for an aging ice fleet in South Africa. Yeah, I take I take your point on that, and of course, I mean the the, the key thing is is that is that we want EVs to start happening. You, you when we chatted last time, you said that certainly. I mean, for example, range anxiety. We, we're getting charging stations out there, uh, but I mean, I, I'm not sure that we're ever going to be producing them locally. We produce vehicles, but they're all ice engines. Yes, we, we do produce locally and they're all ice engines, but there is light at the end of the tunnel because I spoke to um, Mercedes-Benz the other day mm. and uh, they've actually retooled all of their plants um, um, to be able to produce not only ice vehicles, but also hybrids because there's a demand for exporting mm. hybrids. Now, they haven't moved to full battery electric yet, um, but there is a study um, in Europe uh, where uh, converting a plant to an um, electric vehicle plant isn't a massive leap. And, uh, and so I think it's possible. I mean, I'm not the expert okay. there. This is way above my head. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but I think it is possible. We've just got to begin taking the steps. You know, part of the solution is actually executing. And I think the manufacturers are executing. Government just needs to come to the party with government policy, lowering taxes. Look at Australia. Australia has just made the move. A quick last question. Uh, everyone listening is, is, is I mean, many folks out there are currently suffering uh, load shedding. I think that's why your line is probably bad. Uh, oh, oh, I mean, does, does it practically work? You, you have an EV. I mean, are you practically able to keep it charged, notwithstanding the ESCOM challenges? Um, so that, that's another good question, Simon. And uh, last night, um, I, uh, like everybody else, went through stage six load shedding for mm-hmm. four hours. My vehicle was on 66% when I parked it in the garage last night. I plugged it in. Uh, notwithstanding load shedding, I've woken up this morning and my car is on 95%. So, uh, so it is possible, okay. even with stage six load shedding, to, uh, to charge your vehicle. And the reason is, is because it starts charging the moment the electricity comes back on. And that's what happened last night. There was really only four hours of load shedding. If we get to six, eight hours of load shedding, well, that might be a different story. But at the moment, at four hours, it's very possible to own an EV. Yeah, okay, I'll take your point. And I think four, I mean, you, you talk about six or eight, like, like stop it at four hours. Um, <laughs> and, and 95 is plenty. We'll leave it there. George Meany, Auto Trader, CEO, appreciate the early morning. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, We manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. I'm chatting with Roland Hobbies, Head of Discretionary Fund Management at Old Mutual Wealth. Roland, appreciate the time today. Discretionary Fund Managers, DFMs, where do they fit into the, the investment landscape? 
Simon, the main services DFMs provide are to financial advisors, and their objective is really to assist financial advisors in navigating the landscape of, of unit trust funds. So we're investment experts that enable financial advisors to do a better job for their clients. Is that, I mean, fund selection, or is it more perhaps at a, at a higher level, which perhaps would be sort of around asset allocation? Simon, it can be one or both. In our case, um, we get involved in asset allocation, so we select uh, unit trust from asset classes. Other DFMs might focus on use of balance funds, but, but the end goal of the proposition is to ensure that the financial advisor has a robust and well-constructed investment solution for each client need. Is it that granular in a sense, where it is down to sort of the, the individual? I'm, I'm sitting with my advisor and it can be granular down to this is Simon's needs. Simon, that's an interesting one. Um, in the global market, certainly some DFMs develop propositions that try to create a unique solution for each client. Mm -hmm. I would say in the South African market, the focus is more on client segmentation. So to offer solutions, standard solutions at different levels of risk. So a financial advisor might end up having you know, between five and 10 standardized investment solutions and he'll gauge the client's need in terms of risk, but also in terms of offshore exposure, maybe currency exposure. Um, and, you know, in the case of living annuities, perhaps look at the volatility that the client can endure while earning mm -hmm. income. In, in the notary center, and you're talking particularly about about the the the, the team that that you work with, uh, what over a hundred billion czar, so it, it's a large amount in in the sense there. And you say majority of them actually looking at that asset allocation manager research, and then a, a couple of them on on macroeconomic. And I suppose that that's your your really really big picture in a sense. Yes, Simon, and I think it's an interesting challenge. Um, we don't think that manager selection is really the first part of the process. Mm. So we don't think you start with whether you think Alan Gray or Coronation is a good manager. Um, the importance of asset allocation has been well proven if you're trying to fix the investment risk to something measurable. So, so in order to make sure that clients you know, that they know how much investment risk they take on. You do want control of the asset allocation. And yeah, so we've got a large team looking after a considerable amount of money. And we think it's worthwhile spending a lot of our time first looking at asset allocation. And you know, in that, the decisions like how much exposure to take offshore and how much to, to take in domestic currency, we think is a much more important call than uh, selecting between two or three or ten different uh, active managers. I, I take your point on that, and I, I hear it often from, from guests and, and folks in the field, that, that really getting your, your asset allocation right is, is more than half of, of, of the job. If, if, if you can get that right, then, then the rest kind of falls into place, I don't want to say easily, but a lot easier perhaps. Yes, uh, you know, when I refer to international studies, it's perhaps 90% of the decision. Mm -hmm. So, so really important. Of course, you can, through selecting asset managers um, that take very big risks, you can still make a difference on the upside or you can burn your fingers quite badly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but we think in terms of client objectives, and often when we do that, we think of, you know, by how much does this client aim to beat inflation over a certain period. And that kind of formulates our goal for the investor. And around that, we can build asset allocation. 
And the wonderful thing about this process is if you do things that way, you can actually get quite predictable results eventually because you're investing through market cycles. And in the long term, markets actually tend to deliver fairly stable real returns. Uh, you know what to expect from equity markets. You know what to expect from the currency. And that gives clients a sense of plan, a sense of purpose, and also a way to remain invested in volatile markets with a long-term plan. Yeah, I, I like that point. It, it doesn't feel like it in 2022, but I, markets are broadly <laughs> speaking going to be predictable. You also talk around enhanced indexation, a, a new trend that you're seeing with, with DFMs. So what's what's the, the, the thinking behind that? Yes, Simon. So in South Africa, we are definitely behind the curve in terms of exploring more passive investment solutions. Mm -hmm. The simplest equity market approach is to really just buy each company according to its market cap. Mm -hmm. You know, that will give you an, an index like the Aussie index, where your performance is, is really just predicated on which stocks are on the index. Um, so that we call pure passive. Um, and then there are two different types of enhancements that one can do to an index like that. You can try to control the risk by, for example, reducing the exposure to the large stocks. So you can um, buy something like the cat swigs. Mm -hmm. What that index does is it limits the biggest um, stocks like nice fashion process together, it limits it to 10% so that it doesn't dominate a very concentrated portfolio. So that is a risk-based approach. But there are also uh, so-called smart beta indexation, which tries to provide better returns or better risk-adjusted returns by bringing in different flavors, still with a programmed approach with a formula of how stocks are selected. So it takes the human bias element out of it. And these funds tend to sit at the cheap end of the spectrum um, because there's no research involved or very little research involved to put these indices together. And big companies, big asset managers then simply track a published index to give you a specific market return. And, and that then fits coming back to asset allocation perfectly under the asset allocation umbrella. You pick your assets and you use passive. It, it might be a SWIX. It might be a, a smart beta. fits perfectly in with, with the assets. Absolutely. So now you're starting to put together an investment process where a big portion of your exposure you get for cheap and you mm -hmm. get direct access and you get the returns from equity that you expect. But it also gives you a more of a risk budget to select active managers yeah. on the other side and allow them to do their job over the long term. So, so by anchoring the portfolio around an index, you now have more freedom to maybe select an asset manager that isn't very consistent, that maybe only beats the market one out of three, but when they do a good job, they do an excellent job. So we think embracing passive mm. actually gives you some risk capacity to stay invested longer with good quality active managers. So there's a, there's a very um, attractive combination between the two. I hadn't thought of that. I like that. It, it is that, that that passive, which gives you market, means you can step out on the edge a little bit in other places. We'll leave it there. Uh, Roland Schwab, he's Head of Discretionary Fund Management at Old Mutual Wealth. Roland, appreciate the time. <laughs> 
Uh, yesterday, chatting with uh, Andrea Theron from PPS, lessons from 2022. We asked your biggest takeaway from the markets this year. It, it was actually fairly even. It's around 40% each were saying, uh, always have some cash. Another 40% or so said it's all about the long term. Uh, and then uh, the two other options, around 10% each were saying bear markets are nasty. Uh, and then some of you saying you just hope to forget about 2022. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. The show is brought to you by Stanlip. Visit stanlip.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlip Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website, the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nbuchle and Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.